Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are still in our journey through the Gospels. This is Gospels part 52. Last week Jesus sort of officially sent out his disciples uh, to proclaim the message of the kingdom to the lost sheep of Israel. And yes, he did really interesting aspects of what he wanted them to focus on to rely on the hospitality of the lost sheep of Israel when they go into a town to not acquire things from people to trust that God is going to provide the things that they need for them and then he ends that discussion by saying that just keep that in mind if people aren't hospitable to you that God is going to be the true judge and it it's going to be more bearable for people on the day of Sodom and Gomorrah than for those that did not welcome you with the hospitality that I put in my story. Yeah. Um, and he's going to continue this narrative to them in sending them out. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's pretty harsh. And, I mean, it's harsh when when you don't know a whole lot about the story, but even when you see all the connections back to, you know, how important hospitality is and all that, it's still, it just, wow, this is this is a big, important deal. It's not that pretty, nice Christianity that we think of today, right? Mm-hmm. But he is. He's he's given this big speech. He's letting them know as they're headed out, you know, this is what you can look forward to. But now I'm going to go ahead and tell you before I even start reading, when we, we're going to begin at Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. We're going to read through verse 25. So it's a big section. But it's probably important to know before I say it out loud, uh, read it out loud. It's it's like Jesus has switched. He was originally talking to them, and it seemed like everything he was saying really applied to the mission that they were headed for. But this section seems like it's it's more about the mission that's going to go on, like perpetually, at least until his return. It this is future stuff, long-term stuff that would not only affect them, but even us. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll start talking about all those things. So you ready? Sounds good. All right. Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children 
will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Whew. Now, I know that was a really big section. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here, but I it, i mean, it's this big continuous speech and it was hard to even break it up. It felt like, nah, I should keep going. I should keep going. But anyway, there you go. So Samuel, first things first, he says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So can we just <laughs> together agree? Yikes. Yeah, that's not good news. <laughs> right. Doesn't sound good. And and props to Jesus, quite the motivational speech. Uh, but seriously, in just, I don't know, the most basic sense, man, mankind, just generally speaking, has been an enemy to God. Nobody can really argue with that. That's just a thing. Now, this was also true, just to say it out loud, within Israel. I mean, okay, they're supposed to be the chosen people, all of those kinds. But you know what? Same thing. They have been an enemy to God as well. Now, as they had witnessed various people and groups coming against Jesus, and when I say they, I mean like the apostles, whatever. As they've witnessed people coming against Jesus, they should expect the same treatment. They are sheep among wolves. And and again, I just kind of want to reiterate, it's for whatever reason, right here, starting at verse 16, it seems like either the way Jesus is talking or maybe Matthew's pulling this in from another time or place or whatever, it's just the way he's telling it. But he's not really talking about just what's going to happen to them on this mission. It's way bigger than that. Jesus, he, it's like he's laying out a map of their lives just going on into the future and not probably not even just their lives, but ours too. So there's one. Next, he talks about, uh, so be wise as serpents and, and innocent as doves. Now, Samuel, when I say the word serpent, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Not anything positive. (laughs) Yeah. The garden, the serpent in the garden, Genesis 3. Uh, But what's funny is right here, Jesus is using the example of a serpent as a good thing. You're supposed to be like a serpent, right? (laughs) It's just kind of funny. But what are the things that we see in the serpent, the way the story is told? There was a wisdom, there was a cleverness, there was a cunning. And we don't want to think of it that way because we want to think of him as a bad guy, but all those things were there. And those things aren't inherently bad. The thing is, 
They could be used for good purposes or bad purposes, and that's really the key. We have to use them for good purposes, and that, of course, is unlike what we saw from the serpent in the garden. But we could use them, for, I don't know, recognizing trouble or danger or or knowing how to deal with people and situations, whatever, you know, be wise, clever, cunning. It all has to be tempered, though, because again, we don't want to be like that serpent in the garden. It has to be tempered with innocence. And what I mean by that, uh, innocent as doves, is it's like you are without evil. Or another way to think of it is that you are, you're inexperienced in evil. That's kind of a different picture too, right? Mm -hmm. You are blameless. And so let's read a couple other verses from the New Testament so you can kind of get, I don't know, an additional taste of what this is like. Samuel, read for me Romans 16, 19. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and as to what is evil. Yeah, and see, you can hear it. That's exactly what we're talking about here. How about Philippians chapter 2, verse 15? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Yeah, and that one, you can hear more of that idea of being inexperienced in evil, that kind of thing. But this is what we're talking about. So you're supposed to be wise as serpent, innocent as doves, knowing that you're sheep out in the midst of wolves. And I just want to add really quickly, I think this is an example of like Genesis 50, Joseph's uh, statement to his brothers about God using what people had done for harm into good. And in this case, like the story of the serpent, while it's negative in a lot of cases, it seems like Jesus is like turning that on its head to show how it can be turned into goodness. And even we can talk about in the Torah with Moses, God telling Moses to use an image of a serpent for people to look towards to save them if they've gotten bit uh, so that they don't die. So it, yeah. it just continues that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try to be careful about it, but the Torah, in fact, all of Scripture, I think we could say it has layers. Onions have layers. Ogres have layers, <laughs> right? The Scripture, it has layers. And so, yeah, you can, you can see different things in there. <laughs> I couldn't resist. It just came I, up. I, I'm proud of you. Yeah. So, uh, the next little bit, though, he goes on, he says, Hey, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be, you know, on and on. And on. Governors, kings, the whole thing. All right. So, what, what are we saying here? First of all, we, they were to expect trouble in Israel, but not just in Israel, even among the nations. And this is another important thing. Don't miss this one, Samuel. If they were going to be flogged in the synagogues, doesn't that mean that they were submitting to Jewish authority? Romans wouldn't be in the synagogue flogging them. Right. They have to be submitted to Jewish authority. So this whole idea of somehow Messianic Judaism, Christianity, etc., somehow being apart and separate from Jews, it doesn't make any sense. They're supposed to stay within it, and they're even submitted to Jewish authority. They weren't supposed to be considered outside. They were, 
They were to expect trouble outside of Israel, and and some of the apostles, and uh, this is the point of that, some of them met their end at the hands of Jews, and some of them met their end at the hands of Gentiles. So the same way we see the kingdom being a a, a, uh, meshing together of Jew and Gentile, apparently so is martyrdom. (laughs) You can get it from both directions, right? So anyway, that's a big thing. Uh, but it continued on. It said, hey, you're going you're gonna to come before like governors and kings. You've got to bear witness before them and even the Gentiles. And then when they deliver you over, don't be anxious about what you're going to say. All right. So what are we talking about here? This, this idea of even bearing witness or whatever. So these apostles out on their mission and then presumably out into the future and even our lives, our mission— the hardships they will face, probably we will face, have a purpose. It's through these hardships that they're going to find opportunity to tell the story of Messiah, to proclaim his message about the kingdom, the good news. And so, you know what it's like. You live every day. Everybody does. Sometimes it's hard. Life is overwhelming and you... You don't want to deal with hardships, but don't be too resistant because these could be incredible opportunities just waiting to happen. Now, on their present mission, these 12 apostles, we know they've been limited to Israel, which is how we know that this part of the speech has to be something different. Ultimately, they're going to bear witness even before Gentiles. And Now, in the context here, it seems to be suggesting that they're going to be standing before legal authorities. And now, here's what I think is important to take away from that. In the case where you are before legal authorities, you're outside of your normal domain, whatever your comfort zone is, all that stuff, you don't have to worry about preparing the perfect speech in defense. That's what's being talked about here. Okay, so like the gospel, the ordinary stuff, the things we know about the kingdom, our witness, our testimony, all of those things, well, that's the message for everyday people. They should have that ready at all times. We should have that ready at all times. That's a that's a normal thing. So don't think that this verse has something to do with that. But in these special cases, when when you find yourself in these circumstances, even legal encounters, etc., God is going to help them through the Holy Spirit. And I would say even us today. He's going to give them the words for that audience at that time. And I think that had to be kind of comforting for them. Of course, who knows? They might be a little confused. What are you talking about? What are we going to be going through all this stuff for, right? Mm -hmm. But in the midst of this tough message, it's a little bit of comfort. And I think that has to apply even to us today. Yeah, and that sounds much different than how some people interpret that verse. Oh, yeah. Some some treat it almost like that we're puppets, that we don't have to even worry about our own agency, that God is working exclusively through us, and we just have to open our arms and accept it. Um I would say that it's almost, it kind of comes across like Jesus is saying that 
all of this time through your upbringing to the he's talking to the disciples and your family and our culture studying the torah and learning the text and trying to write it on our hearts as best as we can like god is going to help you read the room and with the spirit you're going to recall things that are yeah. going to come to mind that are going to help the audience yeah um fit the puzzle pieces together about this story yeah and i mean that happens now like i mean i'm sure there are conversations every single day where people are talking about god and something comes to mind like dude that happens to us every time we record a podcast yep <laughs> stuff popping in our it's it's true it's true yeah that thing about us being puppets and all that if this was a video podcast people would have seen me shaking my head because <laughs> they just drive me crazy with their goofiness anyway before i get in trouble let's try and go on uh this little bit about um oh uh brother will de- oh my gosh this is this is hard stuff to hear brother will deliver brother over to death the father is child children rise up against parents put them to death You'd be hated for my name what is all that that's awful what is that going on? Okay, let's do this. Jesus is, in fact, bringing peace to the world. Do you think that everybody can agree on that, Samuel? I would think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. But is that the end of the story? No. No, I'm thinking of, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So he did come to bring peace, but he's also acting as a sword. He's dividing people. And which people? Well, those who are faithful and loyal and repentant and elevating God's will above their own, right? That whole group, us, we think we're in the kingdom, all that, versus everyone else. And I mean everyone else, even if they're family, friends, etc. It doesn't matter. So, now, For these people that we're talking about, the apostles, people of this first century, it actually came to pass for them in their time. But it's also very relevant for us today. Sort of this, we always call it joining Team Jesus, right? It can bring division. But but we have to try to remain peacemakers. We just have to acknowledge, well, it may happen. In the end, We have to remain steadfast and prioritize God above all else. Like, we shouldn't be the ones tossing family and friends under the bus, but we just have to live in that reality that they may do it to us. And it's going to be on account of Christ. So, number one, we shouldn't, like, somehow give in to it, try to, uh, like, dump, dump Christ for the sake of keeping peace with family or friends or whatever. But at the same time, we need to do what we can to try to avoid it, you know, try to keep those relationships alive where it's possible. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, that's a hard little section of scripture. But, you know, it's it's just true. We all live it. Uh, and the next little bit is when he talks about um, they're going to persecute you in one town. You need to flee to the next. Uh, you're not going to run out of towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes. Okay, what is that even talking about? That's just weird. <laughs> you will not have gone through all the towns. I mean, it's kind of hard to know what this means. So let's just say this. We're Western. I mean, we're Americans, right? Everything is, you know, black and white lists, right? That's what we do. So it's very easy for us. We read this verse and we go, okay, well, there's a finite list of towns and 
they're going to systematically visit them all one by one. Oh, and by the way, before they're actually done, the Son of Man's going to return. Now, on its face, that doesn't sound like there's anything crazy about it. It's not like it's bad or wrong or whatever, except for one really important fact. Samuel, you got a guess as to what that might be? Well, the Son of Man didn't return. Exactly. It didn't happen. <laughs> and so we have to stop for a second and go, oh, okay. Uh, since we have evidence that that isn't what the verse means, you have to then say, well, what does it mean? Before the Son of Man comes, uh, maybe it means, well, um, you know what? Jesus came along and he met them sometime during their mission. Could be. We don't have it in the text, but you never know. Or maybe maybe it looks forward to, I don't know, something to do with Jesus' resurrection. That was a big pivotal moment. Or maybe the day at Pentecost, or even the destruction of Jerusalem, right? We keep filling in the blank with things across history. And we could say maybe to any or all of those things, but those are just going to be confusing too. So what if we just step back for a second and we said, okay, hold on, what about that phrase? Before the Son of Man comes. What do we usually just automatically think when we talk about the Son of Man coming, Samuel? Uh, the, The Messiah? Yeah, and it would be his return, the second coming, the one that everybody's waiting for, right? Yeah. So that's like the obvious meaning when you say before the Son of Man returns. So I don't know if any of those things that we've talked about are right. I don't really know what it means, but I'm, I'm looking for, is there a way that we could make just the obvious thing try to make some sense? So I came up with this. You can take it or leave it. It doesn't really matter. What we need to do is just not be quite so literal. And, and it's look not so much as what it says, like literally the text, but more at what it is saying. We've talked about that before. And so I'm going to offer this paraphrase. Samuel, just tell me what you think of this. What if Jesus has said, hey, listen, when things heat up in one place, just move on. Find a new place of refuge. And here's the deal. You're never going to run out of places of refuge, even until the return of the Son of Man. So if you sort of back it off a little bit, make it a a little less specific, and you recognize that it could be applying to them and their life story and even on through history to people like us and our life story, then maybe that verse can make a little sense. I don't know. What do you think of that one, Samuel? Yeah. I mean, and then when you go back to the actual text and then read that again after your interpolation, it it helps a lot because it, it, it seems all as if Jesus is saying you're never going to run out of towns to flee to based yeah. on this persecution until the Son of Man comes again. Like, yeah, you, you, you need to expect there to be division and opposition until the very end. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going for. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like, well, I've got the interpretation to end all interpretation. No, I don't know. But I, I'm just trying to make sense of it. So take that as an example of one way we could read it and maybe make some sense. And if you've got a better one, by all means, send us an email. It's Okie Dokie Mos Midrash. That's right. Okie Dokie Rash. Well, that yes. sounds like a, like a rash. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Let's uh, 
Let's do the last little bit. He he gets into this thing about the disciple not being above his teacher, servant not above his master. Uh, it's enough to be like your teacher, you know, and then the thing about if if they're picking on me, they're going to pick on you, whatever. So what do we talk about? So we've already talked about this a little bit. It was a common axiom that a student was expected to be like his teacher. And and we even talked a little bit about that idea that, well, to exceed him would have been super rare, but obviously it's going to happen. Some people are gifted, but it would have been super rare, probably would have invited some skepticism, etc. And And so, you know, in the end, it, seriously, for most people, it is enough just to even be like your teacher, assuming you have a really good one. And of course, Jesus, well, okay, big deal. It's a really lofty goal. It's a really lofty goal. So in this case, and in this context, we're not going to focus so much on that whole, well, what does that look like? Who's the student? Who's the teacher? What's the relationship? How does it... Okay, but in this context, Jesus, he's not really trying to focus in on such broad and general terms. He's focusing in on the antagonism that he's been receiving from every side. And Jesus is saying, look, if you are like me, you're going to get the same treatment I've been getting. Even to the point where they just might call you Beelzebul too. And the whole idea is that Jesus is the master of the house and the apostles are the household, the members of his household. And again, I'm going to say it again, and likewise, because this seems to be talking about future, it's us as well. And so, if you're not facing any pushback, if you're not facing any sort of uh, trouble because of your faith or this or that or whatever, it's possible you really don't look all that much like Jesus. Now, of course, when I say that, it's just as convicting to me as it is to anyone listening, but it's a real thing. We need to, we need to learn to take this stuff on. Be real Christians. And if we throw in the, the context about the only relationship in Jewish culture that was stronger or more intimate than a parent with their child is a student and his rabbi. Yeah. I can imagine that Jesus' disciples probably have this almost fatherly perception of Jesus in terms of the maybe the protection that they feel like he can give them in these social contexts, thinking like Jesus has got us. Like, I mean, he's literally like closer to us than our father's back at home. Like he's, he's going to make sure that none of this happens to us. And, yeah. and Jesus, like, I mean, we're not aware of if he is thinking about a point in time when he's not going to be with them because there's different aspects where it seems like he knows the future sometimes and other times right. he doesn't. But in this case, it could be like Jesus thinking there's going to be a time when I'm not going to be here to protect you. And so you need to prepare yourself to, to realize that like the same stuff that I'm having to face and you're watching, you're going to face it too. Exactly. Exactly. And again, that's why I think it's really important that we notice that starting in verse 16, he seemed to have worked his way outside of this very immediate mission they were on, understanding that it seems to have a, a future scope, when, and that means it's for us as well, and that, that's just, I don't know, it's a big important deal. All right, Ooh, that was a big section, but 
uh, this one's a little smaller, but not a whole lot. Uh, we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. And remember, he had just got done saying something about if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those, right? Um, so it's that that proverbial, who are they, right? But he mm-hmm. continues, right? He continues talking about them. He says this, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul, and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Whew! More of that top-grade motivational talk. (laughs) It's just hard. Jesus was in a mood that day. I, you know, kind of seems like it, right? But, all right, so let's let's break down a couple little pieces. Uh, So have no fear. Uh, now, <laughs> let's just be honest. Jesus has been sort of throwing about some fear-inducing kind of statements, but he gets to the end of it, and of course, he delivers the obvious conclusion, have no fear. <laughs> okay, not so much. Maybe not that obvious, but, well, obviously, he has a point, and if I just want to say in the words, you know, like the, the Greek underneath it, maybe have no fear, we might think of it better as don't be intimidated. But either way, you get the idea. But why? Why is Jesus saying, have no fear? Well, one pretty easy answer is because you are, in this case, being an integral part of what God is doing. See, there are things that have been concealed from man. This is all the way along in history. And they've been concealed even from Israel. But what Jesus is suggesting is that they will remain concealed no longer. Now, I don't think that we're to take away from this that there will never ever be another hidden thing now that Jesus has come to earth. It's not that. But many, many important parts of the story have now been revealed. That's the, the beauty of the kingdom and all that. So these hidden things, these secret things, these whispered things, they're now going to be known and open and shouted. This message of the kingdom, this gospel message, this good news, all of Jesus' teachings about it, everything is to be made clear to everyone everywhere. So it isn't just revelation for the nation of Israel. It's revelation for all of mankind, and it's going to be delivered to Israel and through Israel to us. I, it's just, that almost gives me goosebumps. I just love that picture. 
Yeah, and also, I'm just going back to the verse in 10.26. He says, have no fear of them. So part of me wonders if this fear that he's mentioning has to do with the previous verses of all of these people who are displaying this division concerning the message of the kingdom. And maybe Jesus is getting to the heart of, since God is the one who can truly see, and he's the perfect judge, all of those things that those people are displaying, in some ways they're probably rooted in some type of fear or insecurity or mistrust in the world or yeah, good reality or life or God, and that like in the end, uh, all those things will be uncovered for and, and laid at the feet of the judge to, to take into consideration. Yeah, that's good. I, th- I Yeah, I think there's just a bunch of people that get included in that. It's a big deal. And what's interesting, you went back to verse 26, and it starts with, so have no fear. And then he gets down to verse 28, and he says, and do not fear. <laughs> Doubling up. Yeah, it's just kind of funny. But what's he talking about this time? All right, he's talking about don't fear uh, the ones who can kill the body, but not the soul, right? Fear God instead. So what's he talking about here? Uh, uh, okay, can we just be honest? Living in fear that you may be killed. Like, like if there was some sort of real and active threat against your life. Okay, can we just, that would be scary, right? I mean, that's a normal human thing. We don't walk on the edge of cliff size because there is a natural fear of death. Yeah, it's just normal. So he's saying, do not fear. Well, what's he talking about? Jesus said, don't, you should have no fear because you're, you're involved in this mission. You're, you're an integral part of what's really going on. And now he's saying, so don't fear people just because they might kill you. <laughs> now, <laughs> not very motivating. I get it. But it leaves us, with, but, but why? Why should we not fear? I mean, you're asking us to go against everything that's, that's sort of like natural and normal in us. So why? Well, because in the big picture, they can only kill the body. And this is an important thing for Christians to really get a hold of. Your immortal soul or your immortal spirit, whatever you want to call it, it's that heavenly part of you. Well, it's going to live on. And in the grand scheme, then, killing the body shouldn't be overly fearsome. And, and you know, that, that could be helped. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Your real fear, if, if, if you are going to have fear of anything, it should be reserved for the truly fearsome one, God himself. And, and that fear isn't a, you know, cowering with your knees shaking and all that. I mean, it sort of includes that, as a, but, it, but it's, it's respect and reverence and just an understanding of who he is. Now, in this case, he's the truly fearsome one because he can destroy both the body and your immortal soul. And since we know about the resurrection, thankfully, we've got, you know, sort of hindsight in our case, and that, you know, this resurrection, it's the idea of God reuniting your immortal soul with a new physical body. Ha ha ha. Well, that actually kind of makes sense. 
you sh- you don't have to worry too much about dying or being killed or whatever, because we're only talking about the thing that God's going to replace, and he isn't going to replace it with the original. It's going to be way better. But we just got to remember that God can destroy both. And it says in our English, it says in hell, and I'm telling you in the Greek, it's Gehenna, and forget the Greek, we're going back to Jewish mentality in the first century. This is Gehenna as in part of Sheol, part of the grave, okay? And now all of this sounds familiar, well, maybe it could be familiar to you. It's at least similar to what we read back in Isaiah. So Samuel, I'm going to have you read this. It's in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, that's it, right? It's the same thing. The story's been the same all along. If you're going to fear anything in this life, it needs to be God. That needs to motivate everything that you think and say and do. And it's not a, I don't know. Some people, they hear that word, we should fear God, and it, it really bothers them. Like that's a horrible, abusive kind of relationship or something. But it's not that. It's not that. It's understanding who he is. Um, now, uh, I mentioned it already. Jesus, he, he says Gehenna here, uh, and this matches very well with what John refers to as the lake of fire in Revelation. And what's interesting about that is that both body and soul are being cast into the lake of fire. And so uh, just to say it, just kind of interrupt our talk here real quick. Are these two separate places? Samuel, do you have a vote, a guess? Well, I was just wondering that myself because it seems like we've talked previously in, in our own conversations about Gehenna is kind of the in-between place where your soul rests either in paradise or in, you know, uh, torment, and then your soul gets brought back to your body, and then you then it gets decided whether they get to stay together or the, the second death happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, the reason I bring it up is because a lot of people talk about this, and a lot of times they try to smush these things together, and, I, you know, maybe— Maybe it really is all talking about the same thing, and and maybe not. I mean, on one hand, we could look at what John is doing, and it's and we just have to acknowledge. Well, John is writing an apocalypse. It is a very specific genre. It's filled with symbolism. Um, but John does something interesting. He includes that even Sheol itself, the grave itself, is thrown into the lake of fire. So even if he's using symbolism, uh, okay, what is everything a symbol of? <laughs> Are you going to throw something into itself? I don't know. It's a little bit weird. So I'm leaning a lot more toward, no, they're definitely separate things, but a lot of people argue differently. So I just kind of wanted to bring that out there. To have any sort of clear, detailed understanding, okay, probably going to be a little bit fuzzy, but Jesus, at least right here, He's speaking to the understanding that exists around him. He either has to really explain it if it's different, or he's speaking within the understanding that they already have. Since we don't have any evidence of really 
new ideas being fully explained and all that, their idea of punishment and even destruction was understood to be in Gehenna. So, just saying, you see this, it says, kill soul and body in hell, just, there's some information for you to live with, so hang on to that. Happy wrestling. Yes, yes. Uh, what else does he have in here? Oh, okay, so he starts talking about the sparrows sold for a penny, uh, God watches out for them, even the hairs on your head, right, all that stuff. Okay, now, okay. In the middle of everything we've been talking about, at least this is a little bit encouraging. Good job, Jesus. Yeah. Positivity. That's right. God has his eye on what we may see as even the most insignificant things. In this case, they're talking about sparrows, two of them for a penny. He's intimately involved in sparrows' lives and even their deaths. In fact, he gets so intimately involved in creation, and in this case, let's talk about mankind, he even knows how many hairs are on your head. God's involved in even the smallest of details. And another important point, you are way more value, you're of more value to God than many sparrows, Jesus says. So rather than a penny, I mean, we might be worth like a quarter or something. I don't know. So... But God cares about what may uh, we might deem insignificant things. How much more does he care about things that he has deemed significant, like humans, like you? And by the way, there's a quick little call of a comer in there. How much more so? Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Uh, But yeah, if he cares about insignificant things and we see that and know that, well, how much more does he care about you when he has called you significant? So now we can start to really get, you know, why is it that Jesus is saying, do not fear? God, in fact, is saying, do not fear. We may not know or be able to control outcomes and circumstances. Samuel, do sparrows die before their time sometimes? Oh, yeah. Does a sparrow occasionally suffer an, uh, a horrible death? Sure. Yeah, right? So, so you can't look at it and go, oh, God's looking out for me. My life is going to be all roses. Uh, you know, maybe, but maybe not. What we do know is that he's got our backs. He is the one who has life. And so we don't have to worry so much about this one. Ultimately, He cares for us. He cares about us in the midst of every circumstance, good or bad. And that makes sense contextually in this part of Jesus's speech, because if we're going back to verse 28 in the incredibly sombering and humbling aspect that he mentions to his disciples about God being the one that can kill both body and soul, I'm sure naturally our human minds, even maybe in their Jewish culture, would have been thinking like, gosh, like, God does that kind of thing? Like, that doesn't sound great. But then Jesus maybe said verse 29 about the sparrows and us being worth way more than them to say like, no, like, even though that is an aspect of God's story and the judgment and everything, God wants life for you. Yeah. Like, if, if he 
is intimately involved with these things in creation and you are the pinnacle of his creation that should show you that his ultimate desire for you is to keep both body and soul yeah yeah that reminds me of something that i've probably said a hundred times thousand times whatever but it's so important god really 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 does want everyone to know life eternal life with him he does but you got to understand it's i mean not you personally whoever's listening to this but it's you who is rejecting that god isn't going to reach in and use your term samuel he's not going to treat you like a puppet and make you do what he wants you to do he wants you to be a part but if you reject him, you will face consequences for that. And the easiest way to think of it is, look, dude, it's life or death. If you reject him, it's death. If you don't, it's life. And I mean, that's really good because that kind of leads us to even the last little bit here. He starts talking about, uh, uh, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father. Whoever denies me, I will deny, Right. Whoa, this is, and we've talked about stuff like this before. Uh, what were we talking about? Forgiveness? That was a thing. Uh, what was the other one we did, Samuel? Where it's like, hey, you got to forgive if you want him to forgive you. Mm. I can't think of it right now, but that's okay. We don't have to worry about that. But here's another one. If you acknowledge him, he'll acknowledge you. If you deny him, he'll deny you. Okay, this acknowledgement, we may as well say this out loud. It's more than just a verbal thing. It's more like, well, maybe we could say it's more like a vow or a solemn promise. But what has to come after a vow or a solemn promise, Samuel? I mean, you got to back that, back that up. Exactly. Yeah. It can't just be words. So uh, let's, let's look at this. I, I I wrote this down. Hopefully it's still relevant. Uh, Romans 10.10. Why don't you read that, Samuel? For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. All right. So what's important in there, for with the heart one believes, that word believes, uh, we've talked about this and I'm going to keep on doing it. It means not just a faith, but is a faith plus faithfulness. Exactly what we were talking about. You got to back that thing up. And it says, uh, for with the heart one believes. So if you do that, if you have faith and faithfulness, you will be justified. And then it says, with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And that word confesses is a lot more like a vow or a solemn promise. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I was the one that did it. You know, I confess. (laughs) It's not, I mean, no, it's it's a vow or a solemn promise. It's the same Greek word uh, as acknowledges, and it carries the same meaning, uh, but in a in a Jewish context. So you have to you have to acknowledge him, which is, you know, I mean, it, it <laughs> acknowledging God does not mean, oh yeah, 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 I think there's God. It's it's recognizing, oh my gosh, this God 
is real, and this is who he is, and this is who I am in relation to him, and I am going to act accordingly. That's to, to truly acknowledge someone. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's important that we see it. Yeah, in Jewish culture, the believing that God exists wasn't even up for discussion. It was an assumption that the entire nation like built their life on, like God exists and he is. So like, it, it can't be that. It has to be so much more than that. Yeah, yeah, and you even remind me, you know how we say uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Mm-hmm. And, and that phrase, fear of the Lord, the way that that was understood in a Jewish context was that you, you believe that God exists, you, you know that he is, and you believe that he punishes sin and rewards righteousness. That is fear of the Lord. Believing that he exists, he is who he says he is, he punishes sin and rewards righteousness. That's a big deal. But yeah, so it's like what you were saying. Now, this other part, now it says, if you, if you uh, acknowledge, what does he say? Acknowledge me before men, uh, I'll acknowledge you before my father. And then he says, deny. Whoever denies, that word deny is to repudiate or to disavow. And, and this also, it's very, very strong language. But remember, it goes both ways. If you, if you deny Jesus, God, he's going to deny uh, you before God, right? But it can't just be words. The point is this. If you live a life that acknowledges Jesus as Messiah and as Lord and all of these things that he is, right? King, king. Uh, the life that Jesus lived can then be applied to your shortcomings. And that's the grace, right? You acknowledge him, he will acknowledge you, and you're going to be the recipient of that grace, which ultimately is going to result in life, eternal life. So uh, taking us back to what's the point of this whole section, don't be worried about this life. You've got to pursue the better one. We, we need to be pursuing that eternal life now. Whatever ability we have, just pursue it now, regardless of the cost, even if the cost is this life, which he's kind of telling us it is going to be. But yeah. that's the thing. We got to do that. And you're, you're not saying when you say, don't be worried about this life, that does not mean that we have this disposition of, I mean, it doesn't really matter what happens because I know that that eternal thing is is coming for me. Um, that's my security in the future. No, it's like pursuing that eternal life showcases that this life that we have now does matter and the choices yes. that we make and the life that we live has repercussions, positive or negative. Um, yeah. It's just, it, it's like a call and response. The life that we experience here and how we live it affects what our eternal life and reality will be yes. later on. Yeah. Yeah. And you get that added benefit of, you know, if you're seeking the kingdom, you get to experience it in, in some measure here and now, right? We get that taste 
foretaste, I think we called, of the kingdom. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's just such a different story than what you'll hear usually in churches everywhere you go. But it's this this story is grand. That's all I know. It's really, really good. Now, uh, I'm looking at the next section, and I'm certain that we will never get through it uh, if we're going to be try to be nice and keep it within an hour. So I think we got to call it here, which is fine. It's all good. Uh, and since we are a few minutes shorter than normal, I just want to mention a couple of things. You know, we we get little bits of statistics that come back about the podcast, you know, who's listening where and things like that. And I just have to say, there is a, a relatively small group that exists in the UK, United Kingdom, England, whatever, I, whatever they like. I don't know. I don't, I don't live there. <laughs> Britain. But they faithfully listen. I don't know who they are, and I don't know what they're thinking or doing or whatever, but it's just a handful. And I don't know if they're like in a group together or if it's just random people around. I don't know. But can I just say thank you very much? We greatly appreciate it. That's that is a very cool aspect of our podcasting journey to see that country highlight highlighted on our world map. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we get lots of little we get listens around the world. It's kind of funny. You just never think that that would happen. It does. But they're not consistent. But there there's that handful in UK. I really like that. It's good. And if that encourages you uh, hearing that, what would help send the podcast to even more countries would be for you to stop what you're doing now and to leave a rating and a review on your podcasting platform because that helps the algorithm recommend our podcast to more people. So on the service, it may seem like it doesn't matter that much, but in reality it does. So... um, let us know what you think about it. Hopefully, they're all positive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the world we live in. It's the way that things work, whatever. Sorry, it has to be said out loud. But seriously, you people who are listening regularly, you need to tell other people. Yeah. Let's get this thing spread around. But anyway, I think we're done for today, Samuel. We've uh, covered as much as we can fit neatly into the time slot we've sort of carved out. So let's cut it. Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. You can find out more information at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.